The flyover state sports show is for a mature audience. It contains strong language and adult situations. We do not own the rights to any audio of the podcast. Viewer discretion is advised. Is this on? Welcome back to the Flyover State Sports Show. I am your returning host, Sam Long, and joined with me is the only man that could attend today with me, Gavin Turd Ferguson, Alexander Aloysius, the bomb.com, the second, Alexander Gavin. I'm the only one that's committed here. I've been here. This show gives me an excuse to drink on a weekday. So I just continue to show up when half of our show, or I guess a third of our show is consistently not here now. We're witnessing beans selling out. I think that's what's happening here. I I refuse to be called out for missing the last show because I couldn't record at 8.30 in the morning. Some of us have jobs on a Friday. (laughs) Did Did you listen to the episode? I don't listen I, to this show. I, uh, me and Beans were literally like joking on there. You know, who works on a Friday? That's, I mean, I, oh, I don't. Fuck you. I couldn't imagine, like, well, I guess I should, I don't have much room to talk. I got off the show and started fucking painting. So it's not like I wasn't working anyways, but here we are. All I know is about 1030 on Friday. I finished like. I finished like all the work I really needed to have done on Friday at 1030 and I was checked out. I was reading big 12 expansion rumors, NFL like combine shit and like bracketology from like 1030 to like three. And then normally I work till 330. And that day I said, adios, I'm out of here. Three o'clock punching out. Oh man, it was a good time, and then I had to drive for three hours because yeah. I had to go back to Amigo. Sucked, but we survived. We we did. We survived even without my handsome good looks and charming, eloquent voice. But Gavin and I have a hell of a show for you guys today. You know, the combine happened. There's a quarterback carousel. We might get into some conspiracy theories down the line, but. I always point over to you when I do this, when I mean to point at the camera. But we're going to start with Chiefs news. Basically, two things that we expected to happen came to fruition. The show is on the cutting edge of brilliance. Frank Clark is expected to be released, saving a poop ton of money. And Orlando Brown Jr. is expected to not be franchise tagged. In fact, as of today, he will not be franchise tagged which will save the Chiefs, assuming he does not re-sign on a record-resetting deal, a poop ton of money. So, the Chiefs have a shit ton of money now. Gavin. You're you're also forgetting the third big move, which <laughs> per a, um, a undisclosed source, who I will disclose after I say this, um, might be the greatest GM move in the history of GM moves. It could quite possibly, like, reset the entire way the NFL does business because uh, uh, 
apparently I heard this morning that Brett Veach was not going to entertain giving OBJ a contract. And we're talking about an OBJ that is coming a year off of, or off of a year recovering from an ACL tear at the age of 30, maybe 31. I'd have to double check that. But uh, no NFL team wanted to sign him last year. After he was recovering, they didn't want to give him the money that he wanted. And so clearly a highly sought-after item that could just step right in and help the Chiefs' offense. Now, to be fair to Beans, we saw that it doesn't matter who the Chiefs throw in at offense. So apparently if you threw in a one-legged OBJ, it might be helpful. But, I mean, what a incredible, incredible move by Veach to not entertain. Was he actually talking about Odell or was he talking about fucking Orlando Brown? When he said OBJ, I took it as uh, Orlando Brown or as Odell Beckham. But now that you mentioned that, I realized that Orlando Brown might is also OBJ. <laughs> That's why I responded to being so uh, obnoxiously because I thought he was acting like not signing Odell Beckham Jr. was the coolest thing since sliced bread. <laughs> This is a gonna, clear. Are you gonna deliver a public apology to him on this podcast? No, I'm not apologizing to Beans because he would be saying the exact. Why do you I, think I so for everybody no, listening? I honestly thought. Okay, so in the group chat, Gavin mentioned that like Beans would think Brett Beach doing anything would be a 40 chess move, and I literally thought you were gonna bring up him making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I no, that was what I said. I was like, Beans, if Beach made a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, you would think it's the greatest GM move in the history of the NFL, uh, which okay. is entirely true. Can entirely we, true. This is like, this is like a big thing now, and th- this is even a crazier example because it's such a short time frame. But like in basketball, like Carmelo Anthony was always like mellow, right? Like you know yeah. that, yes. Well, like LaMelo Ball, like all the young the young kids call him mellow. So there's like a generational divide. But now like OBJ and OBJ like it, yeah, so like I dude, from now on in text, it's either it's either Odell or Orlando. Can we on. can we like Take a step back and realize that, like, I insulted Beans about him making a completely correct and irrational thought, and Beans did absolutely nothing to defend no, he himself. He just took it. He's just like, yeah, all he right. Whipped like a dog. Well, I mean, he probably agreed with me. Like, fuck, you know, that's probably the world's best peanut butter and jelly sandwich, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, so to transition from one OBJ to the next, um. Oh my fucking goodness gracious! What a start to this podcast! Admission of dumbassery and no apology. When when you made that statement about like which OBJ was he talking about? I read through Orlando Brown Ju- and <laughs> like paused to myself like, oh fuck. Uh, okay, how about how about this? How about this? If we're shortening shit in text, beans. This goes for you too. This might not matter in the future because Orlando Brown might be on a different fucking team. But if we're talking about Odell, it's OBJ. And if we're talking about Orlando Brown, it's OB. Well, I, I understand Beans is, uh, why Beans would do that and shorten a Chiefs player's name to something short and cool to make them cooler than what they are. Because they're a Chiefs player, and Beans loves the Chiefs. Could you imagine but, if Orlando Brown made like that one-handed catch that Odell Oh, made? my God. I'm like trying to visualize that, and it's pretty fucking gnarly. You it's mean, like, a, like, like a, the uber high-end like whale athlete. breaching. <laughs> You mean the uber high-end athlete Orlando Brown that we're referring to? Dude, oh my God. Dude have you ever 
Do you, do you remember his combine? I once you'd mentioned it in the group chat, I remembered talking. He did about like him. thirteen reps on the bench or something. Yeah. He, he, because his arms so goddamn long. Right. So like it, it is harder for him to do the bench, and like honestly, the bench press isn't like always the best like thing. Yeah. I mean, it's nice, but it's whatever. But I just he ran like a full like a five like six forty or something crazy like that. That might not be true, but like. In my head, like every time I watched like that comp those combine highlights, and this is a reference only Wamigo people are gonna get, but I was like, oh my god, like it looks like Andrew Romero out there in high school. Like everything about it, like dude's big as hell, but like not a ton of upper body strength. Just one of the worst athletes. Like not a lot of agility. She's like, oh fuck. This dude is not an athlete. Yeah, so to get actually to uh, what we tried to talk about, um, <laughs> Orlando Brown Jr. is probably not going to be in Kansas City. I don't think any Kansas City fan is all that mad because we know exactly why. Um, thank you, Orlando, for your services. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to pay you. I talked about that last week, kind of hoping that this would happen. The first round pick that we gave for you is gone, so I'm happy we aren't turning one bad decision into two or three. Um, I'm just, uh, I, I've, I've said my piece on it. What do you think, Sam? Yeah, I think it's a weird thing because I do like Orlando Brown and I think Orlando Brown is good. Yes. And I do think, so here's the thing. I think Orlando Brown is worth the money, just not to the chiefs. If that makes sense. Yes. That part, that's an important distinction. Orlando Brown is worth, I don't know about tackle reset the market money, but he's worth like top five to eight tackle money for sure. Just not on a team that's paying their quarterback a fuck ton of money. Because then you start having to, because I mean, we have to, the thing is when you pay your quarterback a ton of money, you have to find other places to kind of slash on. And if Orlando Brown isn't going to be like elite at if he's basically if he's not going to be Trent Williams or like Lane Johnson, right? Then like you can't keep him around. He's like he's a B plus guy, right? And you can't pay a B plus guy A to A plus money when you're paying your quarterback A plus money. It's just kind of the way it factors in because otherwise you got to like let go in other spots. Right. Now, I think you do. I think the one thing that makes you kind of sleep easier at night doing this is Orlando Brown, as we mentioned, and this is not a knock on him. He's just not an elite athlete, which to me makes his value worse with the Chiefs because of how Pat Mahomes plays. Pat Mahomes, you could see Orlando Brown was a lot better. When Pat Mahomes was standing in the pocket because his ankle hurt. But once Pat Mahomes starts running around everywhere, then Orlando Brown becomes not as athletic, harder to stay with his man because Mahomes is dropping 10 yards deep and giving him an easier rush angle. Like, all of this stuff. So I think the Chiefs could probably get away with paying 50% of that money to a tackle that fits better, that's more of an athlete, closer to someone like Eric Fisher. Yes. Or something like that. So, again, I like Orlando Brown as a player. Like, genuinely. I, I do think he's good, and he's going to go make money somewhere else. 
probably. Or who knows? Maybe him and the Chiefs come together with like some sort of two year deal that's like fully guaranteed for like something that's like seventy five for like maybe not seventy five, but like eighty five percent of like the high end tackle money, something like that. Yeah, and I think um, the part that you mentioned that I know Beans and I talked about and both of us agreed with was like at the end of the day too. Kansas City's a passing team. Orlando Brown is a outstanding run blocking tackle yep. and should go somewhere there to fit and earn money there and and do what he's good at. He's a perfectly fine pass blocking tackle, but it doesn't really fit what we do well. And the you perfectly mentioned the things I've talked about in the past. When Patrick Mahomes is standing where the slot receiver lines up three seconds into the play, I don't expect the left tackle to be blocking for the slot receiver or a pass coming from where the slot receiver has initially lined up. So even independent of, I, I don't think Lane Johnson or Trent Williams is Lane Johnson or Trent Williams if they play in Kansas City. Orlando Brown was one mm-hmm. of the top-graded tackles in the NFL this year, and people thought he sucked because Patrick Mahomes is constantly outside of the pocket anyways. So exactly. what's the point of having a tackle? That's, but yeah, I, I 100% echo what you say. Now we look further on at the uh, Frank Clark getting probably getting released Again, nothing uber surprising here. We've talked about it. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense. We've been a lot of Kansas City fans are always frustrated with his lack of production, uh, the regular season, and then knows when the money weeks are and starts to show up. Um, I assume you yeah. echo a lot of that. He he's very much he's very much um, defensive line Daniel Sorensen in that kind of sense. <laughs> Um, I never you know, thought of that. But everyone yeah. who's listened to this podcast knows that the Daniel Sorensen trend is do fuck nothing for about the first three months of the year. And then the last four games, you start making some plays and then the playoffs, you stand up. Yep. Um, I will say the reason why I know that he's better than Dan Sorensen in that regard is because he is like fourth, like third or fourth on the all time sacks list, yep. like in the postseason all time. So Frank Clark, to me, has definitely been worth the draft capital that we put into him. Yes. The money is like where it's a sticky point. If he would have been able, if we could have reached an agreement on a restructure, I don't think you could ever have too much edge, right? And if we could have brought him back on a figure that made sense for our team, I would have loved to have Frank back, especially because he's a vocal locker room leader, all that good stuff. He at, least, at least in the set, even if you don't think he's a leader leader, because I, we, we know he has off field stuff. He at least is a guy who is vocal and seems to care, which yep. helps bring some juice to the defense. Yeah, I think uh, I think there's nothing really surprising with it for Kansas City in the future. You kind of get a little concerned now, especially looking at the postseason, because it, it is a, you know, a we, we make the playoffs and we get a one seed without getting anything from Frank Clark. It's almost in a way like you're acquiring a player uh, mm-hmm. for the offseason. Um, that's not there anymore. Plus, whatever like hole in the defense he apparently occupies through the uh, regular season, you also have to fill. I think kind of a lot of what he does, but take the playoff production and kind of spread it over the rest of the season is maybe what you can expect from maybe a George Karloftis coming forward. I've always kind of thought George Karloftis is a, you know, like B plus ceiling, but like also like a B floor pass rusher in the NFL. He's played good. I don't think the ceiling's there. I think he's kind of like fine. I think the important thing to take away from that, though, especially with an aging Chris Jones, Kansas City this offseason has got to start looking 
at least now and definitely for the future, at how they're going to replace and fix that pass rush. Yeah, I think a lot of what we'll get, I think a lot of what will happen this offseason is I don't think there'll be any sexy moves per se. I think you're going to see a lot of like one-year deals for like decent sums of money for guys who kind of, I think a good per a good person to look at, honestly, and I don't know how he I, I know that things might have soured based on how things ended the first go round, but someone like a Justin Houston, yeah, that like yes, is older, still has some juice in him, or like Melvin Ingram bringing him back on a one year yes. deal. Something to where it's like we just need some veteran presence to like be able to stop guess some stuff because while the Chiefs do have 11 draft picks this you know, <laughs> offseason, the odds of hitting on 11 draft picks is not high. Yeah. And I, I hate that getting thrown out. Let's get ahead of this um, for Kansas City fans. Yes, we have 11 draft picks with four of them being in the seventh round at like the end of the seventh round. See, so I didn't even know that. Let's uh, realize that we have like seven draft picks and just like a bunch of cheaper UDFAs. <laughs> um, so what I, w- what I will say is people need to also temper their expectations for the later rounds because yes, I understand that we drafted Legereus Sneed in like the sixth or seventh round. I understand that we drafted Jalen Watts in the seventh round. I understand we drafted Isaiah Pacheco in the seventh round. Things I will say about that. With the COVID rules for this last draft, those seventh-round draft picks are honestly more like fourth and fifth-round draft picks because there have been more players in that. There were more players in that draft class at any time in history. Yes. So that was one of the best drafts to have multiple player or multiple picks because there were just so many bodies who were worth like third, fourth, fifth-round picks that you would be able to get discounted in the seventh, like sixth, seventh round. But like honestly, if you just look at hit rates in general for being having players that are productive in those rounds, it's like not great. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I think there's a lot of Isaiah Pacheco playing well. I don't obviously we came on here and talked him up after said he was the best running back in our room after the draft. the pro- The problem with that is like he's a running back, he's athletic, and our running back room sucked. So like that wasn't a difficult thing to project. And at the yeah, end of the day, I if mean, you the- play. If you play a running back a lot, he's going to, quote, hit just by getting volume. But I think a lot of that also goes, I got to make sure Beans isn't here to punch me when I say this. I think a lot of that also goes to the scheme that we play and a lot of blitzing and creating a lot of big plays and Jalen Watson just playing a lot at corner and being able to be opportunistic, which is Mm -hmm. what you're supposed to do. Don't like, I don't want to take that away from Jalen Watson, but like just to take like a game out of an example, I don't think Jalen Watson or like any of our corners did a fucking thing to help stop Philly in the Super Bowl. So like, what are we, I know that's just, yeah. just like one game, but like Jalen Watson played a lot, was able to take some opportunities that he got really, really well. But in terms of like wanting to bank on him going into the future, I don't really want to do that still. Yeah. I mean, Jalen, here's the thing. It's like, if you get a seventh, seventh round guy, and we'll just use Madden as like an example because that's something everyone can digest. If you draft a dude in the seventh round and they end up being like an eighty overall or whatever, like in Madden or like a set like a seventy-five to eighty overall Madden, like that's a fucking big hit. Yep. 
Because like those those dudes don't happen very much. Yes. And like 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 you said, like I think Isaiah Pacheco is a solid player. Obviously. I really like his game. I like how hard he runs and everything. But like we see time and time again, you know, if you have the offensive alignment for it and you have like, you know, the the coaching staff for it, like you can turn a lot of guys into a really good running back. Now, granted, Isaiah Pacheco's gotta be a good running back to be a good running back, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. The the underlyings are there too. I mean, Cl- Clyde's yeah. not Clyde's not a good running back, so it doesn't matter. That's the difference. Exactly. Like you can't just you can't pluck like like Trent Richardson's a great example. Trent Richardson can't fucking. That's the thing that I love about Isaiah Pacheco. Not to like completely like gas him up like to an infinite level, but like Trent Richardson like had no vision and like fizzled out of the NFL because he had no vision. And Isaiah Pacheco had no vision also, but, like, developed vision as time progressed. And so he became better and, like, pretty much became, like, a solid – I don't want to say foundational piece because, again, it's running back. Building but, like, blocks. He became, he, yes, he became a legitimate offensive weapon for the next three seasons because, like, he developed. There's also a difference between, like, lacking vision at running back and, like, anticipation – and just being legally blind too. So like those yeah. are like two different things. But at least yeah. Isaiah Pacheco is not legally blind. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> and you know who know who knows how he develops over the next three years. And hopefully, you know, if we don't give it to him, hopefully he gets a bag somewhere. At least a running back bag, at least. Right. So um, I think uh, that's pretty much the main of the Chiefs stuff. We've had. Mm. We're kind of early into the quarterback carousel, but I think it's absolutely worth covering because there's been some uh, at least massive deals relatively made. Uh, maybe not massive players, ironically. Um, but yeah, let, I, I think we start. Let's just start with uh, the one that happened first. I guess we'll just start with uh, Derek Carr. Derek Carr, yeah, yes, yeah. yes sir. Um, season. So yeah, Sam, you you got Olave. I, w- I want to hear your your. Uh, Let's hear what you got to say. It, it affects you directly more than me. So, yeah. So I think Derek Carr, I, a lot of people are saying that Derek Carr isn't like even an upgrade over Andy Dalton. And I, I don't personally think that that's very true. I think I do think that people are completely forgetting what he did two years ago yes. when the Raiders were a complete mess and complete dumpster fire. I think there have been some reports that basically Derek Carr Honestly, I don't want to like completely like say this. Derek Carr is kind of reportedly a bitch, kind of in yeah. in terms of like being able to get his feelings hurt and everything. And Josh McDaniels, I think, kind of hurt his feelings. And so I think I think Derek Carr is very much a needs like soft love, if that makes sense. Like he's not very like tough love, if that makes whatever from his head coach and Dennis Allen, like actually has worked with Derek Carr. So he would know this. Yes. So I think that he's in a healthier relationship, which I think will help him get closer to where he was when he was balling out for lack of a better term with Rich Passaccia. Um, I think honestly, it's probably a, from a familiarity standpoint, I think it's a good move for Derek Carr. 
I think Derek Carr in New York would have been really bad just because of how I think his personality <laughs> is. Yeah. And I don't he couldn't have he couldn't have handled it. Um, as for Alave, I think there's a lot of things that kind of there's some things that kind of hinge, if that makes sense. On what if Michael Thomas is back, I don't like Alave as much because Derek Carr, I think, can support two fantasy relevant options as we saw with like Hunter Enfro, Darren Waller. But if Michael Thomas and Juwan Johnson are going to come back, I don't know how that's going to necessarily work. You know what I mean? Now Michael yeah. Thomas is back and it's like just Olave and Juwan Johnson. Then I think a lot, cause like Derek Carr has gotten in the past two seasons, like, Hunter Renfro in like the top like 15 to 18 wide receivers and like Darren Waller into like the top five tight ends for like multiple seasons. And like Devante Adams was elite this season under Derek Carr. So like his top, his top receivers get fed, but like, I just don't know who's going to be the top receivers. Yeah. In, in terms of Derek Carr, I think, um, I, I'm not surprising anybody when I call Derek Carr, Carr a quote some of his parts quarterback. Um, we're like all familiar with that term, understand what that means. The problem with that is I don't think the Raiders have ever like given him all the parts at the same time, anyways. So like mm-hmm. we we've talked about how shitty this uh, Raiders organization is. As Chiefs fans, we make fun of them all the time. Um, when they have the, quote, offensive weapons in place, maybe you can point to, like, when Henry Ruggs was there and they had the, like, when you're referring to uh, the two years ago with him, like, almost putting it together. And you have Hunter Renfro, you have Darren Waller, but still, like, I think that those are really good, but not, like, elite options. And you at least have a coaching staff that isn't retarded. Um, not great, but also not retarded. Um, versus, like, last, this last year, yeah, you go out and get Devontae Adams, but I like still don't hold this Raiders current Raiders staff to like high regards in any way, uh, shape or form. You bring in Devonte Adams, but all that bringing in Devonte Adams really did was take away what Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller were bringing to the offense. So you didn't really add anything. You just kind of took away from Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller and added to Devonte Adams. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like those like, two dudes were hurt a lot this year too. They were, and like, but regardless, that's not helping Derek, Derek Carr at all. At all. Um, yeah. So Derek Carr getting away from the Raiders just generally, I think, is a good thing because you, as you mentioned before, I think just a fresh start from for for him is uh, also beneficial. Um, I'm quite confused with what the Saints are doing. They've been perpetually uh, like going all in since they like meandered their way to the playoffs with the um one of like whatever was left of Drew Brees. Um yep. <laughs> and uh they play the Drew versus Tom game, lose, and then they've just kind of been trying to search for whatever was left on that team ever since then. Mm-hmm. Uh I don't know where they find the money, but they just kind of keep restructuring and finding it anyways. Uh I don't know in terms in terms of the weapons for the Saints and uh, even to hit, hit on Olave. Uh, Olave's elite; it ain't gonna matter. Similar to how like I talked about Devonte Adams just getting his because he's Devonte Adams. He Olave's either taking away from Michael Thomas or whatever else the Raiders dis- or the sorry the Saints decide to add, or he's just getting his anyways because he's Chris Olave. I'm not worried about that. I'm more worried about how this move affects 
the Saints window now in terms of I just don't think you can win with Derek Carr without everything around you and there's a lot of holes on that Saints team and I don't know what the what the Saints do in the future either because they keep selling out so I think one thing I will say is the Saints defense was fairly good this season Mm -hmm. right and so I can see why you would talk yourself into oh my god if we just had a quarterback that like was better than Andy Dalton. Cause again, the thing that NFL fans don't always realize is that Derek, like Andy Dalton is fine. He is like the perfect, like bridge quarterback for you trying to like get from year a to year B without having to get the first overall pick. Jacoby Brissett. Exactly. Like him, Jacoby Brissett, they're fine. If you need a one year stopgap guy and you have an elite roster and you just need to like, make it like they're fine. They're better for backups, but like they're fine. But like the thing is, is the NFL is like you win on the margins. And even if Derek Carr is like only like two margins better than Andy Dalton, that's a fucking ton much better, especially quarterback. Yeah. Especially quarterback. Even though you think it's only a slight upgrade, a slight upgrade could literally win you two more games. Which could put you into the playoffs. Yeah. And I think, I do think, and this is just how the Saints operate. They're always, like, trying to win. I do think this fits their MO because Tom Brady's gone and the Bucs have Kyle Trask at quarterback. The Panthers are kind of in a decent position if they're to get a quarterback. But, like, who are they getting? Right. Especially with them having the eighth overall pick. You can't really... I mean, they can't really bank on one of the big four rookies to come save them. And then the Falcons are also kind of a trash mess in some aspects. So, I mean, like, if you really look at it, New Orleans is the only team with a legitimate quarterback option right now. And everyone's just kind of waiting and sitting on their hands and seeing where Aaron Rodgers goes. And then kind of just fighting over, like, Jacoby Brissett and Andy Dalton and Jameis Winston and whoever else. Yeah, because that whoever else group you're talking about, um, for some reason, with the players that we have left, I, I say that specifically for the players that we have left to talk about here. Um, those others continue to get they continue to get taken away, even though I'm not really sure why. Uh, we'll start with Daniel Jones, who signed. That's the, exactly where I was going to start. The four-year, four hundred sixty million dollars with like eighty of it guaranteed. I are. don't know, man. That's crazy. It is. That, that but... is crazy to me. I Here's the thing. I, I know I sat here on this podcast and asked you guys, like, how ridiculous of a take it was that Daniel Jones is a top-ten quarterback. And, like, it's one of those questions. When you hear it, you're like, there's no fucking chance. And then you, like, think about it, and he's like, God, he might be, like, <laughs> he right. might be, like, 13th. Yes. Right. But, like, God, you could not pay 13th fucking that much money. Well, and... Um, I'm, you'll always hear the middle, the mid tier of the, the middle tier quarterback just doesn't exist anymore. That's what kind of gets said now. Like you get the big deal or you just go to free agency. And I, I actually, I think this deal makes a ton of sense for, I'm going to make fun of it, but I still think this deal makes a ton of sense for the giants. Um, it's structured in a way with those $80 million that like, if he's just a really expensive bridge quarterback for two years. Okay. Like that sucks. 
But at the same time, like you've got it. You've never really put anything around Daniel Jones to figure out if he is or isn't the guy. And that's your own fault. That's uh, a fair point. Um, but like this, it's basically a two year, $80 million deal is the way I look at it because all the rest of the uh, money at the end is just fake money as we've like seen in the NFL. That's yeah. why, that's why we see, uh, we'll get to here soon. Like Lamar Jackson stuck on, well, I want more, I want all guaranteed. I want more guaranteed money. If there was no mid, like mid tier quarterback option or whatever left in the NFL, Daniel Jones, like you wouldn't see quarterbacks signing a $160 million deal with only 80 of it guaranteed. Like the only thing that uh, Daniel Jones is seeing of that is that 80. He's got to earn the rest. So mm-hmm. that's uh, that's where I see like the big, big gap. I understand like that everybody looks at that $160 million in four years and be like, oh my God, like he's their guy. Realistically, they could cut ties after next year and it wouldn't be all that crazy. Like, yeah, it is kind of weird, and I, I fall victim to this too. But, like, when you do see those contracts, usually all of that money is in the first half of the contract. Right. Like, all the time. Like, yes. usually. And so, I didn't know. I didn't know when, you, and I'm glad you said it, that it's pretty much all in the first two years. And, yeah, I mean, that gives the Giants an out. I, I think it's worth it from the perspective that they needed to basically sign one of Barkley and one of Daniel Jones if they wanted to kind of keep that core together. And Daniel Jones is the better person to sign because yes. in theory, if you give Daniel Jones a better receiving core than Kenny Galladay, Isaiah Hodgins, half of Wandell Robinson, which is like a quarter of a regular receiver. Right. Exactly. And like Darius Slayton. And I, I like like, I think Isaiah Hodges is fine. And Darius Slayton, I, I actually do like Darius Slayton as, like, a deep threat guy. Like, I, I like him, like, on the roster. But he's not, like, a legitimate weapon. Well, and we, we've talked about it on this podcast. Like, it's been written in the NFL. You have an inaccurate quarterback. You have a quarterback you're not sure about. The one way to make them elite is to just give them a bunch of weapons so that they can't not be elite. Or they're just not mm-hmm. elite with a bunch of weapons and you figure it out. Like I still, I make fun of the idea that uh, Josh Allen and Jalen Hurts are all, now they figured out how to play quarterback when like miraculously the time they figured out how to play quarterback was also when they got a top five NFL <laughs> receiver on their roster. Like yeah. I, it, you don't just like wake up one day and like, oh, and I, I don't want to take, I know they're working hard. I understand. But like Josh Allen and Jalen Hurts were both working hard and training as a quarterback for six years before they miraculously figured out over one offseason how to play quarterback when they happened to stumble into a top NFL receiver. Like that's the, but they haven't done that for Daniel Jones. So let's see. Yeah. Fuck it. I mean, getting, getting that elite receiver for your quarterback gives them a lot more leeway when it's time, when they're developing. Like it, it's just the great, it's the great equalizer. And, yes. I, and you know, by the time, like, the hope is, is that by the time like Stefan Diggs or like AJ Brown has to go, by that time your quarterback is fully developed and he can start making receivers good, like good, like Tom Brady right. did with all those fucking yeah. years. And speaking of having elite receivers, uh, another quarterback that has one elite receiver and DK Metcalf also got the bag. It is oh, Geno Smith. About this. Yes. Dude, and okay, that news got. So let me let me tell you a little very, terrible real quick. I. I get home last night and like I'm watching a YouTube video at like 4.30 because I got home late from work 
And so I'm like watching this YouTube video around 4 35 o'clock. And I fall asleep. And the next thing I know, it's one in the morning. And the first thing I see on my phone screen is damn, Geno Smith got the bag. So I had, I slept through this news. I missed the entirety of it. It was, uh, well, I mean, lot you have the combine, and then it seemed like right after the combine is when a lot of these deals started coming out. The Derek Carr thing, mm-hmm. I think, came out like mid combine. But I mean, the franchise tag deadline is getting close, and teams are just kind of like trying to get this stuff shored up. Um, but I, again, another front loaded contract. I think this contract just kind of sets up perfectly. It rewards Geno for his one big year um, in terms of guarantees. Like, here you go. We're proud of you. You can play yourself into more money in the future. And most importantly, if I'm Seattle, uh, I can now bring in a quarterback. If I get into the, if I stumble into the opportunity to do it, I can let him sit for as long as I want, or let him beat out Geno Smith, which would be great. If I'm Seattle, you just kind of, you get rid of a need right before the draft, and a major need before mm-hmm. the draft if you're Seattle. Um, so I think it made sense for all parties. It's not like. Uh, Seattle's doing anything with that cap space anyways, contrary to Beans' uh, belief on how the cap works. Um, but, yeah. I mean, I it, it also lets you – I mean, let's say you don't – I mean, like, if three quarterbacks go in the top four of the draft, right? Yeah. It doesn't force your hand into drafting, like, the fourth-best quarterback. Correct. You can now wait for next season to go draft, 100%. like, Greg May yep. or whoever. Well, whoever the next breakout guy – because there's always that dude who's like, oh, well, this guy is like a fourth-round pick. And then it's like, oh, well, this guy's now like the best quarterback in the draft. That happens every fucking season. Yep. It, so yes. it allows you to go find that guy. Yep. 100%. And, God, all right, we're going to get into conspiracy land. We're going to get into some fun here because, the uh, per some people, the best uh, quarterback left Yet Domino yet to fall is uh, Lamar Jackson, and he's staying in Baltimore for right now. I I was going to say, was going to say, um, uh, I was going to say he isn't the best quarterback left. But I remembered Aaron Rodgers is still there. I mean, they're right. probably joint. I think it really depends on how you view That's it. That's right. I say some people because a lot of people are going to take that as oh ha ha running back joke. But then like like no, there's legitimately actually. I I will say one thing. So I. The top comment on um, the Lamar Jackson, uh, it was basically a, here's the guys who got franchise tags and how much they'll make, right? Yeah. And so, like, Saquon Barkley and, like, Josh Jacobs, they both got tagged, and they're both, like, at 10.9. Right. And then Lamar's is, like, at 30-whatever. 30, 32.4. Yeah. And so the top comment was, why isn't Lamar's 10.9? <laughs> so that, that was really funny. I- I've always thought, Sam, not to sidetrack us, but how fuck it I couldn't imagine the banter. And I just want to see it one time. I want to see, you know, this team is uh like comes up. The uh Houston Texans have selected running back Anthony Richardson from Florida. And just like I just want to see it one time because you get to call it as you want it. So but I yes, Dog, I wanted you, they, dude, there would be like dude there. <laughs> I honestly would probably be in the same this camp too. I'd probably call them fucking racist, to be completely honest. <laughs> yeah, That's so dis- that is so disrespectful. I know, I know. Like, Nobody I'm would just, ever I'm do it. But God, God, the reaction would be priceless. It would, um, 
Yeah, that would be bad. But yes, uh, running back Lamar Jackson. Um, so. so the big thing about Lamar's tag is it's the non-exclusive franchise tag, if I have my wording correct, which pretty much just means Lamar gets to hit the open market, but Baltimore gets to match any offer that, yeah, they Baltimore gets to match any offer sheet that Lamar signs. And then Baltimore is given the option to either match his offer sheet or to not match his offer sheet, which then basically nets them two first-round picks from that team. Unless it's Miami. Miami has to wait till after the draft to negotiate with Lamar because then if they sign an offer sheet with him, then Baltimore would get their first-round picks in 24 and 25. Yeah, correct. So that's a little caveat. And I guess that would go for any team that doesn't have their first round pick. So I guess like Denver couldn't either. Yeah. Well, I, no, Denver could now because they have the 30th pick in the draft or the right. uh, whatever pick in the draft, whatever pick Miami had, or uh, it's whatever pick uh, San Francisco had. It's like 29, I think. So the two, th- the two parts of context, because as uh, we are well aware when you when this stuff gets thrown on Twitter, basically like sixty percent of America attacks it just disregarding all context. Um, the one part that we know is that Lamar is his own agent, and that's probably presumably causing some roadblocks. I should I shouldn't even say the roadblocks part. We know that he's his own agent. The part that we are reasonably aware of after reading tea leaves from today is him being his own agent is causing roadblocks in multiple different negotiation processes because a bunch of NFL teams are coming out and pulling out of the running and doing that publicly, which is a little different than like, sometimes it it's when you come out and make a statement saying we're no longer, uh, you know, pursuing this guy, there's a reason for that. And in my eyes and what I think makes complete sense, the NFL and a lot of NFL execs were very, very pissed off at the fully guaranteed Deshaun Watson contract because it was mm-hmm. fully guaranteed. Lamar has stated that he wants a fully guaranteed contract. If that's what he's asking for, and now these NFL teams are obviously like essentially, quote, banding together, whatever, saying like, we're not doing this in the NFL. This is a one time thing. If we all don't do it, then like we determine what Lamar's, uh, quote, market value is. Um, yes. Which. I think that that's what's happening. I can't prove that part, but it appears that that is what is going on in the NFL, why Lamar has not signed. It really does. You can make whatever jokes you want, but it truthfully appears to be like equal problems both ways. Lamar probably deserves higher contracts than he's getting offered, but at the same time, he runs the ball a lot, takes a lot of hits, has missed multiple games over the last couple of years, and NFL teams just... Don't, already don't want to get a fully guaranteed contract. And then on top of that, Lamar has holes in his games that like still got to be answered for. Yeah. So I think this, this whole situation is very weird. Right. And I think that there's a black. lot of, I think the last few years have brought up injury concerns. And I think that the fully guaranteed thing is a f- very big sticky point. But Gavin, there is a conspiracy theory running around in the NFL. Yes. I need you to put on your tinfoil hats. Oh, Jesus Christ. Uh... The, the rumor is, and this was brought to my attention 
by Matthew Barry. And yes, I am actually wearing a tinfoil hat. Yes, so you have to, like, watch uh, that on YouTube. Sam is not being corrupted. He is just giving you the objective news he has heard. This, so Matthew Barry writes a thing every year about the most interesting things that he heard at the Combine. This is not news, per se. This is just things that he's heard. The rumors. And one of the things that he's heard is that it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when Dan Snyder will sell the Commanders. Because he's in deep fucking legal shit. Yes. So... The NFL is probably going to force Dan Snyder out of owning an NFL team. So what better way to A, pump up the value of your franchise before they leave or before you have to sell it and piss off the NFL than to go and give Lamar Jackson a like six year fully guaranteed contract and pay two first-round draft picks for it, then you can say to your fan base, hey, I'm leaving, which I know you love, and you're getting Lamar, which you love, and I'm selling him to this person who now is a franchise quarterback on this team so I can get more money. And guess what? This will really piss everyone else off in the NFL because now it's just not a one-off occurrence for Deshaun Watson. It's a multi-time off with Lamar Jackson and Deshaun Watson. What do you think, Gavin? So it makes too much sense. It makes a hundred. I, uh, I wonder how the, it makes enough sense that my mind is immediately going to how the NFL is going to like structure a way to stop this from like <laughs> happening before it happens, right? Like, I honestly, like, what are they telling Lamar? Like, no, you can't do this. And Lamar's like, you know, go fuck yourselves. I want $300 million fully guaranteed. Um, and Dan Snyder doesn't have to pay it then. Dan Snyder will sign the contract right, and then and sign sell it, the team. Sell yes, correct. He'll be like, oh, yeah, this, yeah, I'm going to do this. And uh, by the way, I'm out of here. So go fuck yourself. And when do you, what I'm more interested in at this point anyways, because I don't know what's going to happen with Lamar, but when do we get the like, not, I don't even want to say 30 for 30. We need some like two hour special on like what has happened here with Dan Snyder. Because remember, remember when yeah, the big know. story came out last offseason? about him digging up dirt on the rest of the NFL so yes. that they couldn't get rid of him. That wasn't even the first big story. The I first know, big that story was... happened in 2020 with the sexual harassment yes. shit. It feels like all that stuff was so long ago, and it's not. It's just like, like being buried because years. it keeps getting worse. That's Dude, that, <laughs> yeah. It's. Do you remember the... Um, do you watch Gridiron Heights? Yeah, a little... Yeah. So, like, there's an episode where they're changing the name from the uh, oh, football yes. team to the Commanders. And it's, like, and it's literally, like, they rebranded to the Commanders. or It's, like, the Washington, com- like, trash, like, Commanders Memorial trash dump. And it's, like, Ian Rappaport, Mina Kimes, and Adam Schefter. And Mia Kimes is, like, so it's still a dump. No one's going to buy this. And then, like, Rappaport and Schefter are just, like, Wow, this is an amazing dump. <laughs> and then, like the post-credit thing was like, I can't believe that Dan Snyder is like making a, our team play in a dump. It's like, yeah, this dump is awful. It's like, oh, by the way, I'll pay you $150 for your commander's merchandise. And it's like, we're just enabling this person. Like, no one cares. Yeah. Yeah. Dan Snyder's an idiot and a criminal and like a misogynist, probably. Like, and, and no one cares. It's yeah. weird. 
I know. It's I uh, a hat. Remember what uh, we say on this? I we we got to get a quote graphic out there at some point. We've said this enough times, but the largest leap in logic that the American people make is that billionaires are smart. And uh, here we are. Most billionaires are only billionaires because their parents were smart enough to like save a ton of money after making a lot of money. Uh, yeah, I'm. It's amazing where we are, but maybe. here we are with uh, Dan Snyder, and um, I don't, I don't know if you're a hundred percent ready to go there. But speaking of news coming out of the combine, we did have an NFL combine occur, and I'm yes. sad. I'm Correct. sad that Beans isn't going to be here to talk about his irrelevant positions that uh, like also tight ends and yeah, offensive and defensive line. The things that only uh, like terrible teams like Kansas City will put on the field to get good players off of the field. I but, I do want to shout out um, at least one or two people. I don't know names off the top of my head because I don't care. Um, the Northwestern defensive lineman that ran like a four. Yes like four nine or whatever it was at like 280 pounds. That was impressive as fuck. I don't remember his name. Smith, Jalen Smith. No, nah, I don't remember. I know okay. J Rob was just absolutely freaking out about it, yeah. but no, some D it was like a D end or a D tackle. He ran, he had an awesome time to so shout out to him. Um, you know what? We probably should look up these names. Yeah. Keep, keep yeah, talking. You I'll, look I'll up find the Northwestern D tackle and I'll look up the other person that I'm, I want to shout out. Look how prepared we are, everyone. We're so yes. good. We're so good at our jobs. I, I know I've like looked at it multiple times as the part that oh my yeah, god. No, it's like a weird name, is like the problem. Oh my god. No, okay. I looked it up and still can't say it. It it starts with two A's. It's like a double A battery out there, just fucking full of energy. Uh out of war. At out of war, whatever. Right, there's your shot. That's sorry, dude. I, I know. Okay, I know. We I knew we broke Aaron Donald's record. I guess is uh, for the uh, most bench reps. But yes, no, he's a well, fucking beast. I don't want to. I don't want me not being able to pronounce his name. To let like, me, let me see if I can get a shot at it real quick. I don't want that to like uh, downplay what this dude did. That uh, this defensive tackle class as a whole is incredible, and he blew them out of the water. That's. Uh, this dude is just, it's insane what he's able to do with the combine. You put that type of athlete. Yeah. Wow. Okay. But yeah, he was, a, he was a stud. Like he, he was a legit stud. He's listed as a D end here, which makes him the fastest like D end. There's other dudes that are listed as edge, but like those guys are just linebackers. Uh, Nolan Smith running a uh, Nolan four three nine was also go. fucking crazy. Yeah, that was that was pretty studly, to be completely honest. And then the other person I really wanted to give a shout out from positions that we don't care about um, was Andrew Voorhees, who tore his ACL during the offensive line workouts and then still put up thirty eight reps on the bench with the torn ACL. Yeah, I so I had mixed feelings when I saw that because I understand. Everything about it. I understand every reaction. My personal reaction immediately goes to Torres ACL. Like, of course, he can still do bench. And like, no, I get that. I get that. But like, that's coming from a person that like had to like destroy his kidneys before he would like stop instead and just like step off and on a cross country course. Like, I I understand why people are also like, oh my god, 
got that dog in him. Like, I love that. I would love that if I'm an NFL team. It's the best business decision he could have made for himself. Absolutely. Uh, so, now, yeah. I, I think, to me, the 38 reps of the bench is impressive, obviously. I think the most impressive part is just he could have just not done it and no one would have blamed him. It's really right. just more of a, oh, this kid, like, is going to make the correct – I don't want to say the correct choice – but this kid is going to like not is probably not going to do anything to like fuck like himself over if that makes sense. Yeah, and I mean uh, he, he when seems you say, responsible. <laughs> I I hate the term he's got that dog in him because it's way overused. But at the end of the day, NFL teams are going to like that, and more importantly, NFL teams are going to draft that. So yeah, that's uh, it's going to get him drafted higher, which is going to get him on an NFL football field and get him a better opportunity to be paid and more money coming out of the draft. Um, so onto the relevant positions. Um, I think we should just start by glossing over wide out. They're really <laughs> all the wide outs were pretty much slower than everyone thought. And so JSM I, was awesome in the agility drills. That's really all we got to know. Right? So, yeah, I do. I want to preface the entire combine with just a general statement that's like whether people come at this, basically you decide players that you like before or post hand and based on how many of them do well or don't you, the combine doesn't matter or it does. The mm -hmm. thing that matters about the NFL combine when it comes to the results, because there was a, I want to um, put on blast. I'm gonna have to find the tweet. I don't know if I can leave uh, the recording here to do it. Um, the tweet I sent in our group chat about the two tight ends that measured in at uh, opposite heights by how the picture they took after the combine appeared, where like they, um, I know Darnell Washington was one of them, and then there was another tight it, end. It, Darnell was it Musgrove from Oregon State? Hey, that sounds right. Uh, I think that's right. I don't know. Like the thing is, is it looked like in all of those, Darnell Washington was like further in front than Musgrove. I mean, really. We're dealing with a half inch on two dudes who are like basically six seven. Yeah, no, like I completely agree with that. The verbiage of like uh, this proves that even measurements aren't an exact science, and this is coming from engineer to engineer who just like scoff at that statement of like you know when yeah, we design dude. something like just put it in the general ballpark, and I'm sure that the machine will work. Like it's going to be great. That was uh, also kind of my thing with like Quentin Johnston. Like he got he got listed as six four. And he comes out as like six two and three quarters, and it's like, okay, so he's like basically six three. So he's right. like one inch shorter, which is like fairly like, like Jordan Addison was basically like one inch shorter from yeah. His, uh, no, we see that all the time at the combine. Yeah, it's like all the wide receivers get like one inch, like every like every player gets like fucking one inch, like yes. almost every time. Right. Actually, one of the funniest things that I saw was like when Jordan Addison was getting his measurements in. Like, he's listed as six foot, like, on the programs and everything or whatever. And he comes in at, like, 5'11 and, like, barely, like, it was, like, 5'11 and maybe no change or, like, a little bit of change, like, maybe an eighth or something. And some dude was, like, so he's barely 5'11. I was, like, what do you mean he's barely 5'? He's literally 5'11. Like, what do you mean he's <laughs> barely 5'11? Well, no, 5'10.99 five, five, is 5'10, Sam. So It's, like, what do you like, what do you mean? Like, oh, he's not, like, 5'11. Like, he'd still be listed as 5'11. Yeah. Uh, yes. Um, if, if you want to complain about Jordan Addison for anything, it should be the 4'5'5'40 or the uh, more official, better 4'4'9'40. 
Yeah, and I'm not even sure. I wasn't as high as the NFL is on Jordan Addison coming in, so then obviously the combine doesn't help. But it really there, – there's two ways I look at the comp. Well, actually, I want to step back to even finish where I was before because what matters the most in the NFL combine is you might not care about this. It might not, like, change the ways that you view about it, but NFL the NFL is going to care about it, whether it's – which is – Ironic as hell when uh, we're tweeting out things like measurements aren't even an exact science, but the NFL is going to spend millions of dollars on these guys based on measurements that aren't an exact science. There's no chance. We can talk about the 40 times last year and how that was weird. It almost felt like this year was slow, yeah. which was kind of weird. And For the wide receiver people, positions. At least And that. running back. Yeah, like everyone just felt slower this year than last year, and maybe they were. And like that's – I mean, maybe they were. Like Yeah. Or maybe, I, like, last year was a faster track. I, but in my head, it's just like, dude, <laughs> there is no chance that they fucked up those measurements. Like, literally zero chance. Yeah. Uh, like, well, I don't know. I have low faith in humanity. Okay. So. I, I won't say zero chance. Dumber things have happened. Yes. But it's like, dude, those measurements, like, those are, those got, uh, those are the most accurate things you're going to see. Yeah, people's perception of the measurements being retarded, as your 5.11 comment would uh, say, still absolutely happens. But um, I think the the NFL is going to look at a lot of these and overreact more than maybe, like, I don't know, your rational human beings are. But I I do want to talk about, because, well, Jordan Addison is like one of the, he's the kind of consensus top there's the big three receivers but of the three yeah. i always see jordan addison going towards the top of that um i don't really feel like we I would say it's learned... like a group of five now honestly like, yeah and I, I love jalen hyatt and zay flowers into that group even with those guys though what is the uh addison feels like he disappointed because he seemed like he was the guy at the top of that group where like now I, I was told that Jalen Hyatt is supposed to go and run possible four twos at the combine. Yeah, and Not he ran a, like four four. Right, and like he's still like small, and like I really don't feel like we learned anything at all at the wide receiver position. I, I think genuinely. the only receivers that really helped themselves were JSN for having freakish agility, which is ironic after not running the forty. Yeah, uh, well, I, to to be honest, JSN and you've said this to me. He feels a lot like Keenan Allen, and I'm not saying he's going to go out there and run like a 4.6 or a 4.7, but like JSN could very easily easily go run like a 4.55, five, five, and then everyone just completely disregard his agility drills. Yes. You know what I mean? Right. So like it doesn't really someone, – someone on Twitter posted this, and I agree with it. Being fast, like known fast, is the best. Being unknown on how fast you are is the second best, and being known slow is the worst. Right. Like if J- JSN, if he knows he's going to run like a four five five, or something in that like range, if he's going to run like below a four five, like he might as well just never run it. Right. Because, There's like, no all reason he's gonna to do is like have NFL teams be like, oh well, like this guy is just like this guy is pigeonholed into a slot role. Right. Well, it's that thing of where like. It probably doesn't matter if JSN runs four five nine or if he runs four five or if he runs four seven, but an NFL team is going to care about it, and an NFL team yeah. is going. NFL teams are going to move him. That's the part that matters I, with it. I think the biggest reason that Jordan Addison is like perceived as the biggest loser is because a a lot of people had him like wide receiver one comps. Correct, right? But I think the biggest problem is he came in at one seventy three. 
73 and then posted a four five five on his first run. And, yes. Like Ken, that's kind of the big problem is it's one thing to be really small, but like run a four, four, five. It's another thing. I, I feel like if he, I do technically feel like if he ran a four, four, nine twice, it'd be it better. Wouldn't, it would have been that bad. Yeah. Like, people would have still said like, Oh, well, his arms are kind of short. And, like, his hands are kind of small. And he doesn't have, like, elite speed. But, like, he just clears that 4-5 mark. You know what I mean? So right. he's a good enough athlete. But, like, you post that 4-5-5, five, five, and it's like, oh, man. This guy Especially is on the really first tiny run. and really small. Right. And, like, I want to – you talk or about the combine. Really tiny and slow, excuse me. You talk about the combine for these uh, uh, skill position players seeming slower than last year. If you remember back to last year, I feel like one of the things that at least perception wise, like actually that did, did these wide receivers no help at all. The fast wide receivers, the dudes that just blaze or exceeded expectations, especially in the 40. If you remember back to last year, we joked about the first group of receivers coming out. All of them were slow. Every single one of them just happened to be like missing expectations or like, Meeting expectations. We remember the Traylon Burks uh, proposed four three. That. that was a four five five instead. Um, he Kayshawn bootied himself. Um, but then Dude, we the gotta second, talk about that guy's combine here in a second. We will. The second group of receivers comes out and like all of them are it's meeting Garrett expectations. Wilson, like Chris Olave, yeah, fucking flying. Oh, I remember that. So like not not only did like we joke about the NFL possibly just like gassing the dudes up because it was pretty deflating after the first group, but like all of the dudes that just also happened to be faster just happened to be in the second group. So like they all happened yeah. at the same time. Here they're kind of like spread out. It's they're happening. There's a lot of receivers that are just meeting expectations because like is Jalen Hyatt running a 4-4 all that bad no it's no. like still in the realm of like what I expect 4-4 flat is fine um he's still gonna get drafted high but like he's not going out there and dominating taking that step up like JSN if he doesn't hit that three cone people are looking at this like he's he's all, all over the losers boards he shows up and does nothing to help himself he just opts out of everything like what is he scared of I actually feel like I'm going to use this against Quentin Johnston because if you're a uh, if you're billed as this like athletic freak and that's like the reason that you're going to get drafted because there's not a really a whole lot of other reasons to get you drafted all that high. I like expect you the combine built for you. I want you to be Anthony mm -hmm. Richardson. I want you to show up and be that guy. Even like a guy like Jordan Addison's not billed as that guy. He's a tech. He's a technique guy. Uh, and I was disappointed that. Whether whether Jordan Addison faked a back injury or actually has it had a back injury, yeah, that didn't. Which help. I'm hoping in his case he actually did like strain his back, but like, you know, he didn't run the agility drills either. Well, and that well, that was we were texting our group chat about that, and it's like, well, like the forty wasn't great, but he's at least a guy that should like help himself and dominate in the agility drills. And then like it's when it when it was got to the point of like, oh fuck, I'm not having a good day. I'm out of here. That honestly scared me more than after he got the four four nine. I because I, I was with you at the four four nine. I was kind of like, okay. I mean, I have in his notes here that he's like a good, not great athlete. Like it's kind of just yeah. what I at what I had expected. Um, hey, but at like, least I do like good on on field drills, from what I heard. Apparently, a dude like Quentin Johnston, who is up in the first round. Uh, I mean, he's the production profile is lacking. 
everything just kind of have a bunch of holes in it. Um, but he's a physical freak, and you just got to bet on that. Well, like, I'm all for him going to the TCU Pro Day and, like, running a fast 40 and the NFL banking on that. But if I'm an NFL team, the combine is built for guys like Quentin Johnston. And you showed yeah. up to, oh, you showed up a inch shorter than you're supposed to. And I know that there's people out there because I hear it all the time. If you say a receiver is 6'4", they just, like, assume he's 220 when he was, like, listed at 205 on the – but, like – when that actually at the official combine gets thrown out as this dude's only 205, it's like, oh, this guy is like smaller than we expected. Now he's not testing. Just kind of an all around. That's the weird part to me, though, is like if you weren't what I feel like the strategy is, is if you're not going to test at the combine, shouldn't you just up. be coming in like bulk to fucking shit, trying to be like 220, like shit, like obviously like like you're you know that you're not going to be six, four, but you're going to be like six, two and like three quarters. And if you're like six, two and three quarters and like two twenty, like built like a brick shit house. Like, I mean, that's going to be impressive. And then you just cut like 10 pounds. That was what Bryce young did. I mean, we, we can move on to the quarterbacks here. Cause I know for a fact, that's what Bryce young did. I mean, he does. Yeah, dude, Bryce young probably ate a fuck ton of hamburgers. But no. And I mean, that's the thing. Again, we're talking about, like, does it make sense? No. Do we know it's fake? Yes. Do NFL teams care? Also, no. They're going to be like, oh, look, he's 208 pounds. Now he's, like, big enough and has the size. I know for a I, – I hold NFL GMs to, like, the lowest, like, of, uh, like, critical thinking and smarts. And I know that there's NFL GMs out there. This probably one out there didn't even know the fucker's small. So they got these results and are like, oh, check it out. This – uh. This dude from Alabama that has produced all this much is six foot two oh eight. So clearly he's got the size and he got everything that we need in the NFL. Oh, don't give him six foot. He was five ten. Oh, that's right. He was five ten. He's listed as six. Yes. Um five ten two oh eight, man. That's a good BMI right there. I think there was a lot of people that were sig- like seriously surprised and borderline like uh hurt by the fat fact they couldn't make fun of him because he ended up like five ten small. But it like puts him it's into like the, the bucket. Guys, is Kyler Murray, right? It puts him into a bucket of like we've at least seen this before. There was people that thought he was going to come in here, and I swear to God, be shorter than Deuce Vaughn. Um, by the way, no. that they like. I, I thought the lowest, I thought maybe he might be like five nine and some change. Yeah, he I did mean, look really short. One the like one ninety stuff was the things that like really really scared people. So the two hundred eight, uh, as fake as it is, like <laughs> yeah. People are going to, well, but well, some thoughts. Well, and I mean, at the same time, uh, we talk about all this fake stuff. We know that players are doing it. And I think it's a little different when players like Jameer Gibbs come out and run the 40 yard dash. So, you know, that they're not just packing bad weight, but Jameer Gibbs has also had the op- same opportunity to come in here. If Jameer Gibbs would have came in, not ran the 40 and just gained an extra pound or gained an extra five or 10 pounds of bad weight and just put that weight mm. out there similar to what a guy like i think like travis Etienne did which was incredibly smart for his own uh stock i think we'd be thinking about demir gibbs differently today obviously it sucks for a bunch of threshold uh goddess out there that he didn't clear the 200 pounds he was 199 but like that, that tweet that you said was really funny <laughs> oh which one was that it, it was like running backs at 
199. It was uh, Squidward's hand during the uh, SpongeBob yeah. talent show episode. It's like running back to 200 plus pounds. It's SpongeBob's hand during the talent show episode. Yeah, that. Thank that you, Ian Hardis. Yeah, uh, great Twitter follow, by the way. But um, yeah, that's I. I don't know. There's a bunch. Realistically, if you want my synopsis of all the different positions to kind of sum this up in a great way. Nothing at receiver surprised me outside of one player in a bad way, which we can get to. And I was surprised by, I guess I was surprised by how slow Jalen Hyatt was. Cause I just, yeah, I definitely thought he would be like four threes for sure. Like yeah, at I, least mid four threes. I didn't really have an expectation, which was my own fault. I just like kind of took what people had said. I watched him like watched him. And I, the thing I'd said about him is he's a, one of the best receivers I've ever seen at just completely avoiding contact in any way, shape, or form going upfield, which, like, okay, take that as what you will, but, like, instead of, like, you know, trying to fight through the corner or anything, he's just going five yards out of the way and just getting the fuck around them and then running faster than them. So Yeah, I, I think that's kind of my fault, is, like, I got my opinion from pretty much everyone saying, oh, this guy can cut, touch, like, 4-2. And I'm like, oh, okay, like 429 is still 42. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I'm expecting him to run like at least mid four threes, which makes sense to me. Like he's supposed to be one of the fastest guys. And then Trey Palmer runs like a 433 and he runs like a 44. Right. It's like, okay, well, maybe Trey Palmer's like that guy. Right. I, I think a lot of the players, the like Tank Dells or maybe the like Josh Downs of the world, kind of like. Do, I didn't, they were known small, but we're not really sure because they're at Houston or at North Carolina, like what the athleticism looks like. And then it's like, oh man, the like high four four forties, not great. And then on top of that, at that like size, it's not a DSN has a hundredth percentile like agility drill. So I don't want to like put other receivers into that. But at the same time, like you're uh, JSN's six foot tall and he's 200 pounds basically. And you are 165 at five, eight and you don't have the same agility as him or like similar. Like that's a problem. Yes. So I feel I like a lot that. of those players kind of hurt themselves, but again, kind of depends on what so you're who's the, who's you said one of the receivers didn't surprise you, but they hurt booty, the man. Way. It's the booty. Oh, man. Yeah. No, we'll get to that later. Yes. Okay. Um, we can keep. Yeah. I, I, I guess the one last thing I want to mention before we move, um, there's really not a lot to say about Bajin. I don't even we don't really even need to talk about Bajin. Bajin pretty much pretty much that everyone just needs to see him run sub four or five, and like yeah. that was gonna be it. Gibbs ran a really fast 40, and that was good for him. And we touched on him. Um, the one dude I was kind of disappointed with, and I don't even really have a baseline for what I was supposed to like be excited about for him, but like Charbonnet like ran like a four five four or something, yeah. which isn't super great. I, I feel like, um, and see if you feel the same way. Obviously, this running I've heard this running back class is supposed to be the great greatest since 2017. I, I've heard I didn't see it. I've heard all of this stuff for years about this class. And Dude, I, I think COVID fucked it all up, bro. Well, and the thing I, I see now crazy. the thing I see now is like the um the running back class if we just put all of the running backs at the combine into that i feel like they met expectations for each player but the class as a whole was so built up that the entire class meeting expectations was a disappointment because nobody devon a chain is supposed to break the record and he runs like low four three which is fine meeting expectations but like not going out there and just being crazy uh jameer gibbs again supposed to go out there and run four two just blaze 
really fast. Don't want to take that away from him. But like his first runs a four four, and he trims it down to a four three six. Like everything was like great, or good, meeting expectations. But nobody took that next step. Nobody just took the combine and ran away with it. Literally. I I think the one thing. I think the one thing that I I will say about this class. I do think a lot of people got way too excited about this class because a lot of these guys got their first college taste during the COVID year, during 2020. And a lot of people were in and out of lineups and a lot of freshmen had to step up because of people being in and out of lineups and a lot of freshmen flashing and breaking out during that time. And I think that got a lot of people really horny for this class. And I think a lot of dudes then just never got much better than what they did their freshman year because they were never really those type of guys. I uh, We can get to Anthony Richardson after that because I almost want to give him his own segment. But Yeah, uh, Anthony Richardson deserves his own segment because but, he, Anthony Richardson made you apologize to Ray G. So we're, he's getting his own Before the segment. combine, to be fair, before the hey, combine. To be fair. Um, but, uh, we're talking about COVID year breakouts and like freaking out over short sample sizes. Um, the booty man himself who, he he trailing Burks himself before the combat or before testing day, you know, coming out, I'm going to run a four, three when he's asked about this, you know, we comp ourselves to to Stefan Diggs, and it's like people are getting hyped over this, uh, again, this character that's being created by, um, Mm -hmm. Kayshawn Booty, you remember Traylon Burks last year talking about the fake gloves that he had to wear because he can't count and talking about the uh, 4-3-40 that he's going to come out here and run. Next day comes out and not only... I, it's fa- it's not fair to Traylon Burks to even compare him to Kayshawn Booty Traylon Burks' testing was fine. There was nothing yeah. wrong. Tra- <laughs> Traylon Burks was like the Paul Bunyan of like combine testing where it was like, Oh my God, like this dude is going to be like six, five and run like a four, three and like right. have big ass fucking hands. And then he turned out to be like a normal, good wide receiver prospect that doesn't necessarily know how to play wide receiver, but like he's a physical specimen. That's fine. Kayshawn booties combine was catastrophic. And that is the difference. Yes. It was, I mean, I, I really don't feel like the NFL had given me much inclination that they were actually a high on him to begin with. So I we need to preface this, that we are coming at this from what we are hearing from primarily fantasy football Twitter. Um, yes. Coming into the, the combine is... He is a Devi darling. And yes. for those of you who don't know what Devi is, Devi essentially means... So it's basically like cracked out Dynasty. So in Dynasty... Instead of drafting the same players every year, like redraft, you draft the incoming rookies. So, like, me and Gavin can take, like, Vision Robinson, Jordan Addison, JSN. Like, those dudes in our rookie draft this upcoming season. In Devi, you can take any player either entering the NFL or in college. So, like, you can take Arch Manning first overall this year if you want. And what happens is, is they sit on your bench and don't score you any fantasy points until they get into the draft. So, and then, like, in that case, rookie picks are, like, really diluted because, you know, like, JSN got drafted last year or, like, Bajin Robinson got drafted, like, three years ago. And, like, Keishon Butte got drafted three years ago. So, Keishon Butte has been sitting on some dude's de- – like, some dude probably spent, like, the 202 in a Debbie round draft pick 
waiting for Keishon Butte to get into the NFL. He's been sitting on his bench scoring zero fantasy points for three years, and he came out and jumped as high as I did in high school for his vertical at 29 inches. And then what did he run in the 40, Gavin? It was like uh, four, five, four, five, four, five yeah, flat. Four, five what? something. And he, he didn't measure in like super big or anything. Like he just, like nothing was appealing. No, the, the vert and like the 40s bad, but like it's not catastrophic. And it's, it feels worse after he like does himself no favors after the day before talking it up. But like the 40 is like first percentile. It is like, you know, there's not like, there's no receivers in the NFL that have this that are like working and like functioning in the NFL. It, it, here's the thing. Like everyone is looking at Jordan Addison for being like a fairly big loser. Not just because he's 40, but because like his verts whatever and his broad jump is whatever. So like all of his explosion like metrics or whatever and Butte's is worse. Oh yeah. No, like like this is like is or just awful, like lowest of like the class type stuff. And, and it's just like, dude, you have no explosiveness. And now we know why he wanted to go back to LSU before like all of the everything of him kind of getting pushed into the NFL happened. That's what I was just about to ask you about, because it felt like after the kind of like legal stuff and we know like off the field problems happen. Yeah, like, pro- probably I mean, have been happening for years. We just haven't heard about it. Um after that stuff, after not producing at all, despite playing this entire season and sitting out half of the year before, it felt like this was like the last chance for Keishon Butte to like jump into relevancy. I I think this is what I would say. And I know this is super hindsight. I'm pre- he tore his Achilles his sophomore year, didn't he? Uh, allegedly. It was never non-disclosed. Okay. If he tore his Achilles... There is no chance that I would have allowed myself to go to the NFL. I, it's tough to say because he still has like stock at this point. And if you stay one more year in college and don't produce, like you might just destroy your dreams of going to the NFL, right? But like that, if he it was actually dealing with an Achilles like tear or rupture or whatever, it would explain why his fucking like athleticism and explosion and shit is awful. Yeah. Like it would explain it. But like I just feel like I feel like you have this is the biggest thing for me. You have to have been training for like the these the stuff. There is no chance that if you have an agent worth any ounce of their salt that if he watched you get like a 29, a 30, a 31 vertical, like that he would let you do that shit. Uh, Keisha Butte should just went in there, got measured and left. And we've like done on field. We've used you. I don't, I want to defend Sam here too. Cause we've seen this like script get written so many times. JSN doesn't run the 40. I was talking about Drake London, not running the 40 last year when there's questions about his 40 time. Nobody fucking cares at this point about Drake London's 40 time right now. He's just Drake London and he's really yeah, fucking you just have good. To get into the NFL. Yes. And like, no, like you, sh- there's no chance. If you know you're going to fucking suck at a drill, don't fucking do it. Yes. Wait for your pro day so that way they can fucking like time you like a half fucking, like a w- half one hundredth of a second faster. So instead of running like a four, five, five, you're on like a four five, 
Instead of a 29-inch vertical, you get, like, a 32-inch vertical. Looking at you, Quentin Johnston. And, like, like, dude, if you know you're going to suck at this shit, just fucking say you're not going to do it. Pretend you're hurt. Just say you, like... That's, that's the like things that amaze me about, like, how Traylon Burks and how Keishon Butte and how players like that happen that are just, like, so far below... It's like, I don't think that a NF... All right, I got to be careful here because I want to make sure this is correct. I'm not worried about offending people, just like objectively correct. There's no, I don't think NFL players are stupid enough to like come into the combine having ran, tested, and done all this stuff beforehand, and then like still genuinely believe at the podium to their future bosses when they say, like, I'm going to run 4 3 or I have 11 inch hands. Like this. I don't think that they're that stupid. I don't know. Maybe I that think they, they are. Gassed up, bro. I god damn. I'm like I don't like. Treylon Burks missed his hand size by a full fucking inch. I mean, the thing is, is like, do you? I mean, my thing is, is like, do you think Traylon Burks has actually measured his own hands? Well, like, someone like, had to well, give him. Would it surprise you if, like, his coach said, "Oh man, you got like eleven inch hands," and then like he just thought he had eleven inch hands? Like I, that wouldn't surprise me. I don't. God. Again, we're just going back to like how obnoxious and stupid this whole process can be, but the NFL believes in it, so it has to matter to some degree. I I I guess to me, I don't know who Keishon Butte's agent is, but I know it's not like a top one. Because there's no way those dudes are sharks. Yes. Like say what you want about the top agents. I but I think if you can. You shouldn't have like you shouldn't have like your boy fucking repping you when yes. you first. You can have your boy rep you like a couple years into the NFL if you want, right? If you really want to, really, you shouldn't let it happen until after your first, until after you sign your second contract. Correct. But like, if you, like you got to have like one of those fucking sharks be your agent if you can have if you can have it, you should have them do it because those dudes are not in the business of anything but making themselves money. You know how they get paid? You get paid. So you know they're who's... in the maximum interest of making you money, which essentially means if you run a fuck, if you have a 29 inch vertical, they're going to tell you to not fucking jump that vertical. And they're going to tell you to your face that if you jump that vertical and do that broad jump and run that four, five, five, that you're going to fall to like the fourth round and you're going to lose a fuck ton of money. You know whose agent is a very, very, very happy man today? and yesterday and the uh ray g's of the world are very very happy people is the people who have been here on the anthony richardson hype club because that dude is a fucking unit freak he's a freak i i'm Uh, we're not gonna sugarcoat it i mean beans and i came on this podcast last week and talked about how we could has the athleticism to play any position in football other than like in the trenches just because size but like I mean, it's 100% true. He's the most athletic quarterback prospect we've ever seen, period. There's no comparison. He is a freak. And do you remember last year he was doing, like, backflips, like, pregame? He, he like did the one at the com- at the combine, too, yes. yeah. No, he's a freak. Like, he's, he's a freak of nature. I have no idea. I have no idea. If it- Anthony Richardson is basically Malik Willis 2.0, but, like, minus three years in age. Yes, which that's a massive, ma- and yeah, it's a SEC. massive difference. And so, like, yeah, 
Yeah, Malik Willis like, had to transfer away from the SEC to get a starting job. So, um, and Anthony Richardson was pushing Emory. Like Anthony Richardson pretty much pushed Emory Jones out. So I mean, like again, Anthony Richardson is one of those very weird prospects where, like, the closest thing you could think of is Cam Newton. I'm not calling him Cam Newton mainly because Cam Newton took basically a bunch of bums and won a national title at Auburn. He's Cam Newton with like Justin Fields' athleticism or a speed. Yeah, like he just—he's basically just built like Cam Newton, if that makes sense. Um, and the only—the only other thing is, yeah, he, he's just—he's not, not a Cam Newton prospect. Cam Newton is like a complete, completely different type of prospect. If Cam Newton came out today, people would be salivating, like literally just salivating to draft him. The only reason people weren't salivating to draft him, even though he did go first overall, is because he got drafted twenty ten. And, like, people forgot, like, they didn't realize that quarterbacks like that could actually be used. Yeah. And, honestly, it pains me that he got drafted in 2010. Because if he would have gotten drafted, like, 2015, he probably would have had a longer career because he could, could actually just be, like, Josh Allen and actually play quarterback. Right. Instead of glorified running back. There, but, there's like... The, there's two things with Anthony Richardson that stuck out to me. And the first one is entirely... uh. Like, obviously, all the testing's crazy. You don't need to harp on that. But the only... I, I'm one for, like, I hate watching the combine drills because it just... it. I hate the, like, perception it creates in your brain when, like, it really genuinely doesn't matter. It might matter to NFL teams, but, like, I'm not going to watch the drills and try to take something from it, if that makes sense. Um, but what I will say is the moment when um, Anthony Richardson and CJ Stroud were doing the, like, deep ball throwing drill... And they're going back and forth. It's like there's a tiny-ass crowd in there. The stadium is empty. They just have all the fans in one section so that when the camera goes to them, it looks, like, more packed. But, like, genuinely, the only crowd noise I heard in the entire combine was when those two were going back and forth and the crowd would start cheering when, like, the quarterback that had already completed his three throws then like wanted to step back up and keep throwing, like wanted mm -hmm. to compete, wanted to keep just launching fucking moon balls, 65 yards in the air downfield. I don't think that moment matters at all in terms of like projecting them as prospects, but it's going to get Anthony Richardson drafted higher because there's NFL people that are there. There's NFL GMs that are there that are watching that moment that are going like, Oh my God, I need this superhero on my NFL team. That part matters. And to like hit on the Malik, I hand up. Sam, Sam called me out earlier. I I saw uh, Anthony Richardson like early, early on, and basically just like disregarded it. Didn't watch anything. Just like he just feels like Malik Willis because that's just the easy thing to say. We've seen the uber toolsy quarterbacks that just like get drafted because they're tools that can't play quarterback. Not only is Anthony Richardson different than that, but like the player that was right there, the Malik Willis comps, he's. He's three years younger in the SEC mm. with one year of starting experience and is a former Elite 11 participant at quarterback as well. So, like, came out as a not like this athlete that was playing quarterback, like, legitimately was viewed as a high end quarterback recruit coming out of high school. So, so here's my final kind of synopsis with Anthony Richardson, right? So, like, we've seen quarterbacks that have like a lot of tools get drafted really high and like, they don't always work out. Sometimes you get a Josh Allen, like Cam Newton is kind of also on that. He was a little bit more accurate in college, but I mean, a lot of people would call him very toolsy. 
And honestly, Justin Fields is very similar in that vein as well, where he's big, he's fast, he has reading defenses issues per some people, but like he's very talented, right? Anthony Richardson feels like those guys where like maybe he has some accuracy issues. And Lamar Lamar's a good example too. Um yeah. but here's the thing. If you're gonna draft a toolsy quarterback, you might as well draft the one with the best fucking tools. The most tools. Like, you know, it's one thing to have like a screwdriver, you know what I mean? And it like you have a screwdriver or whatever, and your screw it's got like the little magnetic like attachment thing, so you can put bolts in. Anthony Richardson just has a fucking, you know, drill. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It has no. like all the like it's a it's a drill, it just works better than a screwdriver. And that that's what it's like being two forty four and running. What did he run like a four three? What? It was a four four four. Okay, four four four. Excuse my French. Somewhere then. there. No, yeah, yeah. It's like, dude, he runs like a four four four. He runs like as fast as a wide, like a good wide receiver, and he's two forty four. Right, and I mean, I think the thing that helps him the most in this in this relative to the other quarterbacks is like you look at. We've talked about Bryce Young's size. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the country. Has a ninety one grade from PFF of like the last two seasons composite. Just never been bad. He's outstanding in college, but the height. You look at Will Levis. Um, grades out as like Dang. a ninety. Yeah, gra- gra- yeah, grades out as a 91 per PFF in his sophomore season, then just like collapses over this last year. So like people are kind of wondering, you know, what's for real, the accuracy issues, but he's got the size. So, and he's got a fucking nuke strapped to his corner too. Uh, the Ohio State quarterback thing is really the only thing that people have to say about CJ Stroud. But I mean, it's a legitimate concern because quarterbacks out of that system just can't seem to transition haven't, to the NFL. really transitioned now. And then you have Anthony Richardson, where, like, the only, I say the only, like, the accuracy issues and, like, the, I don't know, ability to play quarterback questions, but he's in his first year. Like, you can almost, almost, I want to preface that with a ma- massive almost. You can almost explain those away, just it's his first year, first year starting. He is, I don't even want to say a raw prospect, but just doesn't have that much experience starting at a, high level um has only played in like a couple ranked games in college like it's just like lit his resume is uber short because he's only got yeah. that one year I mean, he's a complete unknown and like i don't know for me i i just can't i can see why you would take bryce young over him and i can understand cj stroud I really just don't get will levis over anthony richardson at this point mainly because of the age Oh yeah, I so I'll be here to defend Will Levis. Um, like I don't think Will Levis is bad, but like again, it's like you're drafting a dude who's going to be twenty. Like if he like if Will Levis like isn't that guy like right away, like you know he's he's like twenty four right now. He he is. I hundred percent agree with you. I want to um, actually the reason I think he's just a future Indianapolis Colt because of the uh, offensive coordinator Shane Steichen that's there now. Um, think about the things you heard from Jalen Hurts this last offseason. It's a copycat league, um, and and also in terms of like giving these guys millions of dollars of money as well. Um, Anthony Richardson. I don't want to downplay him. I said he's an elite eleven participant. He's a team captain there at Florida in his first year starting. That is outstanding stuff. But he needs to sit though. 
when you look at a guy like Will Levis, who's been starting for a couple years, yes, he, he had to transfer out of Penn State because apparently like couldn't beat out Sean Clifford or whatever, which I hate saying that. It just looks weird, but we've seen so many players transfer away to get an opportunity and like be good that I'm kind of willing to disregard that for almost all players. Um, but when you look at the personals for these guys, it's easy to see why an NFL team would fall in love with Will Levis. He's a mul- multiple-year team captain. Um he completed his bachelor's degree in three years. He's currently working on his master's degree. He's super smart, appears on the honor roll multiple, multiple times, played multiple sports coming out of high school, uh, personal notes through his team, through uh, peers, whatever, just seems to just light them up. Uh, he sets up charity events and volunteering events at Kentucky and through the football program, just himself, apart from like the coaches or anything. I say all of this, he's from an athletic family. Like I say all this stuff to see like your, I don't know, your like checklist of all the things you hear. Of, yeah, I like, mean, he's a stand-up guy, right? Yes. He, that, he's, he's who you – basically, if if Anthony Richardson had like Will Levis' personality traits and everything, like he'd be the first overall pick. Yeah, no, 100%. And I don't know, you see – Well, like if Will Levis was Anthony Richardson's age. <laughs> I, I feel like NFL teams this, – this is complete just feeling for myself. I feel like uh, it's so much easier for an NFL team to just be like, we invested a second overall pick in a guy like Zach Wilson, but everyone hates him. The team doesn't want to support him. We're just done. Versus you have a dude like Will Levis and like, you know what? You're struggling and like a dude like Jalen Hurts who struggled early on. But like, you know what? The team around him loves him. And we had this guy in uh, Carson – Wentz that is like people apparently aren't really liking and maybe we just move on to this guy and see what he can do and try and put tools around him see if he can succeed like there's there's examples out there of NFL teams just like a hating the person that other players on the team just hate and don't want don't respect don't want to build around versus having the dude in-house that's just like an outstanding member you want your you want him to be the face of your franchise. And I think mm-hmm. Will Levis at least brings a lot of that to the table, albeit in a very questionable, uh, multiple holes in the profile type of way. Will Levis make, to me, Will Levis makes a lot of sense for the Colts because he feels like a leader and he feels like an adult. And that's kind of what the Colts need, if that makes sense. Yeah, like they need someone to come in who can play quarterback right away, and maybe that's not Will Levis coming in right away, but they need someone who can be like the leader. But because really, the- it's hard to establish who the leader is because they change quarterbacks every fucking year. Do you? Uh, I bet you're able to guess this out of the big four quarterbacks that we've been talking about here. Who is the only one not a member of the elite elite, elite eleven camps coming out of high school? It's probably like CJ Stroud. Uh, at, well, <laughs> was it? Is it Bryce Young? It's Will Levis. He was the only oh, one really? not a member. Yes, uh, See, CJ Stroud was actually the MVP of his Elite Eleven camp. Um, Who? CJ Stroud. Okay. Yeah, I mean, right. I, I thought you were trying to trick question me. No, hundred so. percent what you'd expect. I mean, shit, we've talked about the rest of them. When we talk about Bryce Young only having the height concerns, it is legitimately only, only the, the height, height and the size, weight concerns. Yeah. Multiple been a team captain for multiple years, was a five star prospect, not just Do you a have any hesitation drafting him first overall. No, no, I, I don't think I do. If either. he if he doesn't succeed in the NFL, it's not going to be because of his height. That's how I feel about him. I, I, I just 
the thing is, is they always talk about, or like every pundit that I hear is just like, well, how long is he going to last? Like, look at Kyler Murray. And it's just like, 100%. And it's like, I get that, but fuck, dude. Like, what if he does, like, if he is just as good as he's supposed to be and like he doesn't get hurt like Kyler Murray? Like, and, fuck, Br- dude. Bryce Young has an innate escapability, has one of the lowest like sack rates in the country that like I can at least like talk my way into him like moving around and creating on his own enough to where it he kind of doesn't matter. Thing. But at the same time, like, Nobody's kind of talking about the fact that even though Patrick Mahomes is still like kind of, I, I don't know, I don't want to go into that. He hasn't played well. Um, he's been hurt in crucial moments multiple times over his NFL career. No one questions like Patrick Mahomes' size. Like, I understand small quarterbacks are getting hurt more per se. I don't even really think it's a mobile quarterback thing. But like, Patrick Mahomes is a mobile quarterback. He runs around, he gets hurt. I guess shit happens. It just depends how you take the hits. Yeah, I'm I'm not like, Kyler, Kyler Murray, like I honestly like too. I we don't have enough data points, right? Like yeah. the closest thing yeah. to Kyler Murray is Russell Wilson. And Russell Wilson basically never got fucking hurt. Right. And Russell Wilson's a lot thicker than Kyler Murray is. But, like, I don't know, maybe Kyler Murray is just injury-prone or Arizona's field is just dog shit all the fucking time, and that's why he's always hurt. We're in an era where the uh, quarterback protection rules are, like, beyond anything we've ever seen before. So if there's ever a time to bet on a dude where you're only concerned, and I emphasize that to the highest degree, only concern is his weight and, like, how he can stand up, this is the time in the NFL history to be doing it. Dude, I, I just wouldn't even worry about it. Yeah. Like, you know what? Dude, no one is going to be pissed at, at your GM for making that pick. Yeah. Everyone's going to look at it and say, oh my God, this guy was incredible. This dude, like, the, here's the thing with Bryce Young, too. Bryce Young has been working with, like, like this last year, like, none of those Bama receivers worth, worth dick at least in the NFL, at least right now. Like, I get that he was thrown to Jamison Williams, but Jamison Williams, like, Ohio State reject. And John Mechie, who was, like, a second-round pick. Like, he not working with, like, Henry Ruggs and Jerry Judy and Devonta Smith and, like, Jalen Waddle. You know what I mean? Like, he doesn't have, like, all those fuckers on the team. Like, he's working with kind of, like, normal good team-wide receivers. And then last year, he was working with, like, not really that good, you know. He's got, like, Jameer Gibbs, and, like, that's great. But I've seen Bryce Young work with a less talented Alabama and still, like, almost get into the playoffs. And that's why I have more faith in him than Tua, because Tua, like, was always thrown to fucking first-round picks. No, 100%. I'm glad you brought that up, because one thing I wanted to talk about and address, because it pisses me off, um, when I hear... I, I saw the people that, you know, um, Jordan Addison, number one receiver in the class people. The thing that you hear brought up is, well, Devonta Smith, right? That's the, like, we've seen this with a undersized receiver. They, coming their in. seasons are not the same. <laughs> That's the, I was like, Devonta, th- that receiving core that you just read off with the Henry Ruggs, Jerry Judy, Jalen Waddle, Devonta Smith is there too. And Devonta Smith got 50% of the fucking offense when he was there producing with those guys. To, to um, be fair, during that Heisman season, Judy and Ruggs were in the NFL and Waddle was hurt for a lot of it. 
But like Devonta Smith literally was that offense for like over 50% of the season. He he was still like 45% the season before with those guys. Oh, he was really? still their number yeah. one receiver. Yeah. Yes. Here's my thing. Okay. Here's how I knew Devonta Smith was a fucking stud. Cody Jackson watches every single Alabama like football game every single week. And I point blank asked him. I think I think it was before one of our fantasy drafts, actually. It, it was right before one of our fantasy drafts. And this is when I knew I needed Devonta Smith on my Dynasty League team. I knew this a year before in advance. This is before Devonta Smith won the Heisman, by the way. This was like in I think this was in 2020, like right before the college football season. I asked him like who the best receiver at Bama like ever he had seen was. And he said, well, he was like, probably Julio. And then he was like, Devonta Smith is right there too. And I was like, really? Devonta Smith is right there too? And then like Devonta Smith went and won the goddamn Heisman. Yeah. And, and like, it's like, just been incredible ever since. Right. Yeah. But I don't, we're talking about Jordan Addison because the obvious holes in the physical profile, but then like was really, really good at Pitt with a first round quarterback. Say whatever you want about Kenny Pickett. But, like, was really good, but was, like, 30% of the team's offense is, like, a key cog. It's at Pitt. Then he goes to USC and gets, you know, still, like, a really, uh, still dominates a lot of the portion. But it's, like, 20%, 22%, whatever, of the offense. And it's, like, solid, but not, like, the domination that we saw yeah, from the defensive Smith. Even like Traylon Burks, like I know that you're not the biggest fan of Traylon Burks, but if you go for like just do pure domination of like his like receivers, like Traylon Burks account for like 40 to 50% of like the offensive passing yards. Yeah, which is what you like, have to do at like a Pitt or an Arkansas. Yeah, like that dude absolutely like eight. Yes. And like that that's kind of one of the things. Oh, dude, I, I just love geeking out of like old prospects and stuff like some of those dudes are just so fucking good yeah yes 100 percent. the uh i still love the fact um god damn all right now i'm looking no we're, we'd be able to talk about this forever i can't do it yeah uh, i know i tell you what gavin i got one last thing that i want to do and then we can cut this off this right. isn't like anything silly well this is going to be silly but it's not like hot takes or anything okay I'm going to go. Tinfoil hat time? And I'm going to get my tinfoil hat. Yes, let's I'm going go. I'm going to put it on one more time for the boys. So, this beans. Put some, like, tinfoil hat-esque music that, like, won't get us copyright stricken on in the background here. Now, Gavin, how much have you been keeping up with conference realignment recently? Oh, Jesus Christ. Because it's all that I've been keeping up with um, for the past two weeks. The only thing that I'm going to say before you get going was I just wanted to laugh how you Travis Hardenbergered yourself by sending the it's a big day for the Big 12 uh, DM in our Twitter group chat and then following it up with nothing because nothing happened today. Um, but No, it is a big day for the Big 12 because they're having a uh, CEO meeting today. Well, I didn't hear anything from it. Yeah, because the meeting's happening right now. <laughs> well, I want to hear something today, damn it. That's what I was promised. Okay, so a couple weeks ago, my unverified source, M.H. Ver 
four or whatever, or maybe it's three. Yeah, I, I, I love how you've always called him unverified when you've retweeted multiple of his things before. <laughs> I, I love retweeting his stuff because I'm a part. There's act, So this is how far in the rabbit hole I am. There are a couple of Pac-12 people. Um, Utah Pig Bus is like one of them where he is just adamantly denying that there's anything going on. But there's one guy, I think his name is Tony Almonte, and he is like a Pac-12 consultant. And every day he tweets about how the Pac-12 teams will never come over, ever, ever, ever. And I have one of his tweets saved where it said that smart people knew that no Pac-12 team would ever come over. And I'm waiting for one <laughs> Pac-12 team to come over so I can quote retweet it. Because he has nicknamed the Big 12 people 12-anon, which is hilarious, which is why I have this 10 <laughs> yeah, That is an It is really name. funny. But I am going to get blocked by him because apparently he blocks everyone who spreads spreads 12-anon conspiracy theories on his uh, Twitter page. But anyways, so a couple of weeks ago, my unverified source tweeted that there was going to be a big meeting for the Big 12 on March 7th, which is today. The meeting allegedly consists of the viability of top of inviting four Pac-12 schools, more, most likely Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah. And, and apparently, as reported by Brett McMurphy, those schools have been in contact with the Big 12. With one of them, one school, basically, one thing that I've learned today is that the Pac 12 is looking into unequal revenue sharing, which some of the teams that we might be inviting are not a fan of because revenue. So it is becoming increasingly more and more likely that things might get, ha might get done in the coming months, probably because, you know, these things take a long time. There's also a CEO meeting for the Pac 12 tonight where they were probably going to talk about the media rights deal during their Las Vegas Pac-12 basketball tournament. And because of that, there is a special board meeting for law advice for the University of Colorado. This could be to look at the legality of a grant of rights for a TV contract, or it could be how to get out of the Pac-12 to go to the Big 12. There's also the other rumor that's floating around for the Big 12 meeting today, Gavin, and this is the big one. This is this is the one that not a lot of people know. This is where the real tin hat comes in. So, Commissioner of the Big 12, Brent Yulmark, sees that basketball can be a big revenue driver. And there's been a lot of rumors about Gonzaga coming to the Big 12 as basketball only, right? That's not a secret. The big secret is that there are allegedly at least one if not three other basketball only schools that will receive invitations from the big 12 potentially i say potentially the other three including st john's new york market yukon new england market and villanova philadelphia market so all in all potentially the big 12 could grow to 16 in football and 20 in basketball and coast to coast and coast to coast, where the next media rights deal, if packaged properly between selling basketball as one entity and football as another, could reach $50 million per school, which is still a drop in the bucket to the SEC and Big Ten, but firmly 
and much better than the ACC. So, Gavin, that is my tinfoil hat right there. We could be heading towards a 20-team conference that could also take some more football members when the ACC collapses. So, so, (laughs) okay, Jesus Christ. Um, I, when it comes to this type of stuff, I always hate, um, I'm a very, I need to see it type person. I need to like, that's just kind of how I operate at the same time. Um, I, my gut feeling and just kind of where I'm at feels like we are so far along the, uh, what, once Oklahoma and Texas left the big 12, we are like that set us on this chain of events and we are so far down that chain of events. That's like. Nothing happening kind of seems like impossible. So let me say two more things. These are facts, okay? So one thing <laughs> that I, 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 I put your hand up again. I gotta like this or like that. I'm trying. There it is. All right, I got the screenshot. Quote graphic of you saying these are facts, and a tinfoil hat is coming. So. Okay, no, these these are facts though. Like. All right. Legitimately, these are reported facts. So the Big 12 secured its... So basically the timeline for this is, is the Pac-12 opened up their media rights negotiations exclusively for ESPN and Fox, like after USC and UCLA left. After those exclusive rights ended, they had no deal, and then the Big 12 got their deal done. That is correct. That's a fact. No one's disputing that because the Big 12 has one. The Pac-12 still does not. Then, according to the Sports Journal, or I can't remember who it was, basically a very reputable um, sports journal, like money journal, whatever. I cannot remember the name of it. But they basically said that because of the way the economy is right now, and because basically just the way that the economy is, that like Disney is basically telling ESPN to cut spending where they can. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. I've seen the and because they're telling, because of the reset, basically the pack 12 waited so long to get their deal done. That it's very likely that when they had the deal on the table, that they were going to be able to get about, if not a little bit more than what the big 12 was going to get. But they wanted more. They thought they were trying to negotiate for more. So when the Big 12 undercut them, suddenly they're less desirable for inventory. And now everyone is saying, now now basically Disney and everyone else is saying, we need to start spending less money. We can't spend this much money anymore. So now the Pac-12, A, has been undercut in leverage, and B, is getting squeezed by the recession. And this has been reported by reputable sources. And basically what this is meaning and the way that it has been explained to me is right now the figure is according to every projection that I've seen. Because basically there's one of two ways to look at it. If they would have as much money as the Big 12, we wouldn't be having these stories because why the fuck would any – why the fuck would there be any smoke for anyone jumping to the Big 12 if it wasn't for more money? It's not because of academics, obviously, because the Big 12 is the quote-unquote truck stop conference. That That's actually what yeah. people are calling us, which is Let's really go. funny. So the number has to be lower 
or else they would have there'd be no smoke to this. No one would be reporting it because you got people like Brett McMurphy, you got people like Pete Thamel, like you have all these people reporting stuff like that. And again, so it's got to be lower in theory, or lower than if they were to move to the Big 12. The thing is, is with it being that low, you start having teams like Oregon and Washington, who are the big brands in this conference, now making, let's say, $25 million compared to like Baylor's 31 32 or whatever, and compared to like the SEC. I mean, let's be real. If you're Oregon, you're trying to win a natty. Well, Bama's going to make like a billion fucking dollars, and the SEC Ohio State's going to make a billion fucking dollars. So you need more money than 22. And so if you're not in one of those two conferences, you need the most money as possible. So the, the easiest way to do that is unequal revenue sharing, which pretty much means that maybe you get to 35, but that means someone else is getting like 15. Well, if one of the teams at 15 is getting completely fucked, and they're at 15, why wouldn't you go to the Big 12 to go make 32? Right. And so that's where all the smoke is. I have no idea. So my unverified source will have more information probably later tonight as these meetings go on and into the morrow. Um, lots of – the thing about the unverified source is it's basically – how do I put this? You know, like – the Twitter accounts where it's like they take all of the reports from like Schefter and like Rappaport and all of the NFL people. And they pretty much just tweet all of it. Right. Basically he does that, but for people that he knows that know people inside of like athletic departments and stuff. There, we're there's gonna, the salmon on coming out. Yes. The, allegedly I should say. So, yeah. like, again, this is just stuff that basically it would be like if I knew several people that worked in, like, athletic departments in several different Big 12 schools, and they just kind of told me, like, what they were hearing in each one of the rooms. Right. And then I just tweeted all of it out for everyone. So, again, is this source reliable? Some of it probably honestly is. Because it's been right multiple at, times. Huh? I said his stuff's been right multiple times. So, like, at some yes. point, you being reliable or not is just based on the information you presented and being right, not, like, not, nothing but else. From what that. I can see from what he does, about 25 to 50% of his stuff is, like, correct. And then a couple of days later, like, it's in a fucking Brett McMurphy article or an ESPN article. Right. Pretty much. Like, that, that kind of stuff just... And it, it, but like, again, it's pretty much whatever. So anyways, I'm giving this a five out of 10 on the plausibility scale of a big 16, big 20 for basketball. I, so something's going to happen, right? That's we're beyond the point in college, the like balance in college football and college sports in general. And the big five conferences has been upset so much that like something's going to happen at this point, something big. Um, the, the thing that the Big 12 needs to do is to continue to position itself to be the clear third best conference. Correct. 100%. And that's the thing. What the Big 12 did when, because we were the first conference to be attacked. We were the first conference to be picked over. Just lose Texas and Oklahoma. 
and like, oh my God. And instead of just like panicking or doing anything like rash or stupid, immediately we're adding teams. We're positioning ourselves with the, the TV deal to just be okay and make sure that we can survive long term. And now, like in hindsight, where we are today, looking at it, how fucking smart that was and how beautifully we pulled it off. Just like hats off to every single person in the Big 12 office. It it would be very ironic if I, I don't think the Pac-12 will die necessarily. Even if you lose Colorado or uh, Colorado, Utah, Arizona, Arizona State, there's enough schools that the Pac-12 could add like that are high academics like Rice and Tulane. Like they could add enough teams and like they'll do unequal revenue sharing because they'll still be making more than whatever and all the prestige of the Pac-12. Pack 10 or 12 or pack whatever it'll be. And honestly, it'll just be like a neutered ath- it, it'll be a neutered conference for like high academia or whatever yeah. that doesn't necessarily need to have a high brand of football. And honestly, like Cal and Stanford will be fine with that. And like schools like Tulane and Rice will be okay with that. And like Oregon State and Washington State will get a stay there. And like it'll be whatever. And yeah, but I mean it, it's going to be it would almost feel like the most unlikely thing would be for nothing to happen. Right. But, I mean, weirder things have happened. I think the one thing. So again, these are rumors, but these are rumors presented by like people who are verified, right? Mm-hmm. People who have like legitimate sources and crap. There has been a rumor that Colorado state has been floated around in the PAC 12 expansion rumor mill. That had previously been San Diego State and SMU. Colorado State has been floated around. It doesn't make a lot of sense for Colorado State to join your conference unless Colorado is about to leave. Right. Otherwise, it doesn't make any sense. You're not adding a market. And really, you're just adding competition for one of your schools. Like, like SMU makes sense because SMU's in Dallas and the Texas market. San Diego State makes sense because Southern California. Hell, even Tulane makes sense because Tulane's in New Orleans. And, like, Rice makes sense because they're in Houston and also in Texas. So, and, like, all those schools are good academically and all that crap. So they make sense. But, like, Colorado State kind of doesn't. Colorado State seems like a school that the Big 12 would have expanded to because they wanted that sweet, sweet Denver market. Right. But I think that's the other thing. That is the one other thing that I think is hurting the Pac-12 is that the Big 12 pretty much just got, like, the cream of the crop in terms of... The rest? What was the, left? The, the rest of the G5. I mean, right. like... The only other team, the one team that I wish that we could have added was San Diego State. But San Diego State just doesn't make sense logistically unless we're going to add more West Coast schools. Right. But I don't know. We we already, um, we're already a logistical nightmare. And if we go to across the country, we'll be an even greater logistical nightmare. So Uh, like one other question. This is the last question of the show. Let's say we did go to a big 20 in basketball. How do we do conference play? Does everyone just play everyone once and then you get like a rival you play twice and you play 20 conference games? Do you play like in you you play like in like 
quarter pods or something and like rotate shit? Like, what do you do? It's everyone playing each other once with a rival. That's the thing. Dude, that I would love that to me. I love that. That would be, dude, that'd be so fun. You would get, God, you'd get to go to like New York and like Pennsylvania and like Orlando and, and like all these I mean, other schools like every other year. Oh, that'd be cool. You, you've already said it too. Like, our, uh, we're the Big 12. We're not here to play school. Like, we don't care about yeah. academics. So, like, we go across the country and miss a week of class. Who the fuck cares? Right. Dude, just- by the way, okay. Let me just put this out here real quick. I love playing everyone in conference every year. I think for basketball, because every year you play everyone at home every year too. I think for basketball, if you played everyone at home every other year, that would make those games more fun because let's just say it's Arizona coming into the Big 12, right? Only getting to see Arizona every other year is like a much bigger deal when you get to actually see Arizona. Yeah. When they actually come. Because, like, you know, when you get to see, like, like, KU's a huge game because KU's, like, so fucking big and everything and the the in-state rival. But, like, if you get to see KU every fucking year, it's like, oh, well, like, I didn't go this year. Like, I'll go to the next year's KU game. Like, if it's Arizona, like, you got to go to this Arizona game, Rush. You're not going to see them until two years from now. I, I also think, and like the same, uh, like a counter to that, but like meaning the same thing. I think your rivalry game gets that much bigger too, because the only team in your conference that you play twice, play twice, play. right? So it's that uh, the like emphasis of that game is even more similar to like you playing your division in football. Ah, oh, dude, you could make yeah. that like the first game of conference season and the last game of conference season. Oh, that would be sick. God, oh, we we gotta get out of here. Yeah, we're we're getting we're getting into the deep conspiracies right on. here. Yeah, uh, that is going to be an incredible picture for our social media de- uh, department. So, hey, but if I'm right, then I'm yeah, right. Sam, salmon on will just become a regular thing. It'll just salmon be its own. Se- it'll be its own segment. Dude, can we? Pl- I'm gonna keep this tinfoil hat, and if I ever Good. have like anything. Maybe that's what I'll do. Until the Big 12, I'll, I'll just keep ranting about conference realignment until something happens. Yeah, then you'll just, after it happens, you'll just have to find other things to, instead of God, like, what am I going to do? It'll just be your uh, salmon on, like, uh, I don't know. I'll have, to keep sell- I'll have to keep saying that MILF Manor is coming next week, even though it won't. <laughs> I've watched zero seconds of that show. Yeah. I'm very, I'm very disappointed in myself. It's okay. It's, uh, no, it's not. There's more important things to do in life than, well, God. Conference yeah. alignment. Yeah. I've been stuck playing a lot of Harry Potter. Oh, I've Way been. Longer. Yeah, shit happens. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to bid you adieu. I've been Sam Long. Gavin's been Gavin Alexander. And we want to thank you all again for tuning in and listening to us ramble about sports and conspiracy theories this evening. If you enjoyed this content, please consider dropping a like on the video and or podcast that you're listening to. Also, if you would be so kind, follow us on Twitter at underscore underscore F3S. That's underscore underscore F3S, where you can find all of our episodes posted. That's underscore underscore F3S, all capitals on the F and the S we also have merch into the bio of our Twitter account. If you want to buy a shirt, feel free. It's for you, baby. 
And one other thing, we're doing a bracket challenge. We'll announce this probably, hopefully better next week or during this week because we didn't do it at the beginning of the show, which was a mistake. And I don't know if we did it last week either. Nope. All right. Well, we're doing a bracket challenge. And if you're here, then you're queer enough to do it. I just got canceled. Any whore. <laughs> uh, what a disaster of an ent- outro. Any whore. I need to go play Harry Potter on my Xbox. I didn't get to play yesterday because I had slept for 12 hours. Thank you all for listening. God bless and salmon on forever. Peace. <laughs>